Welcome to Great Minds with Lost and Found, the podcast that connects people and reimagines systems to increase mental health support and suicide prevention for youth and young adults. We strive to do this by engaging in conversations with advocates, experts, survivors, and leaders, and the great minds of all backgrounds and experiences. By reimagining the mental health ecosystem and connecting the great minds of people who do this work, we can create more resilient resilient communities and prevent suicide. I'm your host, Joel Kaskinen. I use he, him, his pronouns, and I'm the Community Engagement Coordinator for Lost and Found. My co-host today is Eric Mucky, CEO and Executive Director for Lost and Found. Eric, if you would just introduce yourself, that would be awesome. Awesome. My name is Eric Mucky. I'm the CEO and Executive Director of Lost and Found. Um, I've been with the organization since it started almost 12 years ago as a group of 18-year-olds who had the audacity to try to start a nonprofit in suicide prevention. Um, our whole emphasis and focus was doing more to prevent suicide, and it's been fun to see how that journey has played out um, from, from any role that I've served. I've served as treasurer, vice president, chapter leader, um, uh, a peer mentor, a, a peer advisor, executive director. Um, any hat that I can get my hat, you know, hands on, it seems like, is, is what I've played in the role of Lost and Found's shape and development, but it's been fun to be a part of it. Um, I'm originally from Corsica, South Dakota, um, son of a pair of educators. Uh, my older sister and I grew up in a town of uh, 600 on a good day. Um, <laughs> we uh, went to the University <laughs> of South Dakota, both of us, um, for undergraduate studies. I got my degree in economics there. Um, spent a few years in the banking world. Um, have also dabbled in rural economic development and nonprofit development. But Boston Found's been kind of the common thread for me from um, working in Washington, D.C. as an intern to working in Sioux Falls full time, but you know, running a nonprofit board to moving to Minneapolis for grad school where I earned my master's degrees in public policy and business at the University of Minnesota. And, use all that time and, and energy to bring back to Lost and Found, which is a cause near and dear to my heart. So that's a little bit about me. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like uh, the audacity that you all had as 18-year-olds has stuck with you. Um, I know that uh, from personal experience working with you, and it sounds like the deep root of all of this is education. So as mental health educators and suicide, and as a suicide prevention organization, Lost and Found uses a resilience-focused approach and the CDC's seven strategies for suicide prevention to do our work. Um, as we relaunch the Great Minds podcast uh, for season two, we're going to focus on how these seven strategies inform our work and how we use them to build resilient communities that has a lasting impact on the mental health ecosystem. So Eric, as CEO and executive director of Lost and Found, you have an intimate understanding of this. Can you dive in a little bit more and um, explain to some of our listeners who might not know what a suicide prevention organization is, what that means to us, how we use these strategies? Yeah, um, the average person might think of suicide prevention being very much um, what you see on on a TV ad or um, I know the, the famous Super Bowl halftime show where we got to see sort of the... the um, Logic put out the the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I think a lot of people think of prevention that way, which in the scale and scope of what suicide prevention is, there's actually a larger spectrum to consider. There's prevention, which is very much sort of front end thinking about how do we take action to address things like risk factors or mm -hmm. what we call protective factors, things that will help 
preserve or give you protection from suicide risk um, before you're in a crisis and intervention being that middle area where we intervene in a potential crisis, you might be experiencing suicide ideation, you might be experiencing mental health condition and addiction or other factors that uh, may introduce suicide risk in your life as an immediate threat. And then there's postvention, which is much more focused on what do we need to do to help somebody who has attempted suicide, um, who's lost somebody to suicide, who may be um, returning to sort of the, the normal world, if you will, after um, an inpatient stay. And so there's this, this big spectrum of work to be done, organizations to be a part of. And what Lost and Found is, for you know folks tuning in with us today, we are a comprehensive prevention organization. So that means we serve youth and young adults, particularly um, between the ages of about 10 to 34 is sort of where we work within. And we really focus on how do we train advocates? Um, how do we train folks to provide mentorship in their communities? Um, how do we equip people to be um, broader advocates and, and build up resources in their community? Uh, but it also means taking a comprehensive stand in terms of data and evaluation. You know, mm -hmm. How do we best understand the problem and take action? Um, how do we address policy needs and, and change systems so that um, our society and our environment help us better prevent suicide. And so one of the reasons why we do, and you mentioned, I'm, I'm glad you were talking about this because I don't know that a lot of people understand this. I don't know that even us when we started this organization would have understood sure, how this sure. works. Um, there is a comprehensive technical package is what it's called, created by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention that outlines what evidence-based practice, so a lot of fancy words for saying what we know works, um, in suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. And so our organization, um, whether you interact with us or not, um, we apply those principles in everything that we do. And so the idea of taking sort of a, a comprehensive approach means we apply these principles and these practices, but it also means that we think about suicide as not something that just is about the person experiencing suicide ideation or might be considering suicide. Suicide prevention is much greater than that. And it means that we have to think about all of the aspects around a person too. Who is in their life? What influences do they have? What's going on in their community? Um, what societal attitudes and programs do we need to consider in this case? And having sort of that basis in history and suicide prevention, focusing on the sort of overlying wrapping um, thought process around not just the individual, but the, the others that are around them and the community that they're a part of, that's really what Lost and Found is about and, and why we apply these, these practices. Definitely. So as we think about applying these practices and as we think about being a comprehensive preventative organization, um, we have really rooted the core of what we do in resilience. Um, you know, our social media handles are resilient today. Our kind of key motto is do more to prevent suicide. And we want to create resilient communities today. So we do that and we think about the three kind of elements of resilience, resilience of self, resilience of community, um, resilience of others. And so, as we think about those three areas of our work, kind of tying them into the seven strategies, and I'd love for you to get a little bit more into those seven strategies that we use um, from the CDC. Um, 
could you just share how we kind of how how we make that all happen? Yeah, I think our listeners probably don't fully understand, or they maybe they've never even heard of the seven strategies. Maybe they they don't know the definition of resilience. Could you mm-hmm. enlighten us a little bit yeah. further into that? Let's start resilience first, and then let's get <laughs> strategies. So then we can at least. <laughs> I don't want the story to be too, you know, too technical, even though it is a technical approach. Um, The simple reason why we started resilience as as a term that we used for lost and found specifically happened about five years ago in 2017. um, And the story of a lot of startup nonprofits follows their founders or the leaders that have gone through. This story follows mine a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I started my graduate studies at the University of Minnesota and at the time, um, Lost and Found's program impact was mostly confined to student organizations in Eastern South Dakota. And organizations in their community that are sort of building coalitions and building resources is a critical element of suicide prevention, but it's one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. To actually pull people together and think broadly about what suicide prevention needs are, we had to start using different language. Um, I would get feedback from campuses and in, in our network of, of work that we did who would say, we don't just want to be a suicide prevention organization. It's a weird thing to think about now. You know, we know how big of a problem suicide is um, here in South Dakota, but across the country. And it was weird to hear that feedback. But what was really being said was, we don't know how to bring people into this conversation. And there was a moment in time I had the opportunity of a lifetime to go take an organization I was leading in my graduate studies and reframe the entire model Uh from scratch. And in that process, what I discovered was we had to change the language around suicide risk. So if you're familiar at all in the suicide world, for those of you joining us today watching, suicide tends to be talked about in risk and protective factors. When we think about risk factors, particularly, we're talking about the things that might contribute to, you know, the potential for suicide. So, uh, mental health conditions, of course, is one that a lot of folks, you know, resonate with. Um, it could be addiction, but it could be a lot of other life circumstances and economic factors that contribute to suicide. Um, what we may not always talk enough about is protective factors, and protective factors are the things that essentially look like living a really good life, mm-hmm. and. If you look at in the field of research that comes together on protective factors, you can start to come to a singular word that's used very well, in my opinion, by the American Psychological Association, which is resilience. Now, a lot of folks might talk about resilience and, and you know, it might be too rigid or people don't necessarily want to be resilient. I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, but the actual technical definition from the American Psychological Association is the ability to um, certainly withstand, but it's also about adaptation in the face of circumstances or, or burdens or, or traumas that we experience throughout our lifetime. The ability not just to bounce back, mm-hmm. but also to learn to and learn grow. From it. And so when I thought of where our organization needed to go to change the conversation about suicide risk and bring more people into this conversation about suicide risk not being something we shouldn't talk about or that we need to actually... Um, change our approach to, I started to use the word resilience. Mm -hmm. And the word resilience ties directly to protective factors, which looks an awful lot like living a really good life, 
connected to family and friends and community, um, having life purpose, having physical well-being and also mental well-being, all those factors come together and it's like, wow, we can talk about resilience. Yeah. Because if we can talk about resilience, then we can have a conversation about what managing suicide risk is. And that's where the reason why we use the word resilient is because you can learn those behaviors. You can come to this place of adaptation and growth where you don't have to be born resilient. You can learn how to be resilient. Yeah. It's a lot of words for saying <laughs> um, you have to bring people together to get to suicide prevention in its truest form. And I'm, I'm really grateful that we've um, not only built um, a good working relationship um, by a grant um, application that didn't go through, but it, it turned into a really cool um, evolution of our organization where we've started applying strategies from the, the Centers for Disease Control. So what those strategies look like, um, there's seven of them. Yes. Um, strength and economic supports is the first one. Um, strength and access and delivery of suicide care, um, creating protective environments, promoting connectedness, teaching coping and problem solving skills, identifying and supporting people at risk and lessening harms and preventing future risk. So in everything that we do, Lost and Found takes our approach through those, those seven lenses and we blend that with the sort of overlying view of resilience and mm -hmm. what resilience means. So being able to talk about what is resilience for myself? Um, what are the skills I need to learn for myself? What are the tools I need to have at my disposal to make sure that I'm living a resilient life? Um, how do I share that resilience with others as a mentor, as an advocate, um, as somebody who can have a trusted conversation about mental health? Um, and in community, what, what helps a community continue to build systems that are meant for suicide prevention? Because so much of what we see, and again, changing attitudes, we have to think of suicide, not just about the person experiencing ideation. Yeah. It's not just about what's going on in their head, so to speak. There's a lot of factors around that. And especially, I think today, we, we sometimes forget societal attitudes, um, access to programs, access to care, um, those all matter. And if we do not have everything working together, we don't really have good suicide prevention. Sure. Well, I think that's why it's important to note that there is seven strategies because it's everything mm -hmm. and everyone working together. It's important to note that, you know, tying it back to one of the first things that you said was we do this all by creating resilient communities and by bringing everyone into the fold to prevent suicide. It's, it's not on us as individuals. It's on everyone together mm -hmm. um, as a collective. And so, you know, when, when we think about suicide prevention and we think about the work that we're doing as an organization, um, I, I think really, you know, when I look at these seven strategies, the things that I see a ton are in our work and in our programs is promoting connectedness and teaching coping and problem solving. Are, are those things that you would agree? Is there one strategy that you believe that we use more? Is there one strategy that, you know, maybe we could work to improve in our work, I guess I'm just, I'm curious. These are all thoughts that I've been having as I've been preparing for today's conversation with you, knowing that you've studied this a little bit more mm -hmm. than I have. And it's just things that have been on my mind. Yeah, I think you're spot on. You know, I think I think about the strategies that Lost and Found can, can take on best. What I try to 
tell folks, especially being a comprehensive suicide prevention org, is we're always going to be striving towards filling in strategies. So we know that there are strategies we don't necessarily have a ton of programs for, but there are a lot of partners we work with who address those. I think the, the one that comes to mind, especially coming through the pandemic and what we're dealing with in a current inflationary environment yeah. is economic supports. Totally. And what that looks like most often is housing and employment. Mm -hmm. And right now we're in a, in a situation where unemployment rates are relatively low or lower than they have been in, in a significant period of time. But we also have workforce shortages. We also have housing shortages. So we don't necessarily deal directly in those areas, but it's important for folks to remember that that is suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. going to keep people here. I definitely agree. You know, when I think about what we do best as an organization, I think connectedness and promoting connectedness is one of the things we really work toward. Yeah. Um, youth and young adults um, between 10 and 34, it's a wide variation of ages and experiences all the way from essentially elementary school sure. to some of the top end of that might be having elementary school children in their <laughs> lives. So going to talk about a double whammy. But what I see, um, especially when studying these strategies, and, and I'm not a public health expert or a public health professional by any stretch of the imagination. From a policy perspective, however, I can definitely offer in our prevention work, there's not as much focus as there probably should be in promoting connectedness, yeah. especially in an era and, and, you know, this will be shared in social media, so I guess I can't speak <laughs> entirely to it, but just this idea of, um, I think, especially newer generations um, have grown up in an environment where social media is a large part of their community building and they may not have um, the same community outside of that. There might be an over-identification with community in a social media realm, which doesn't always necessarily promote connectedness and sort of the conversation that you and I are having right now. Yeah. That's an area of programming where we really try to focus with Lost and Found, where we talk about, like, especially I think of peer mentorship being such a great example of that, where we literally are training college students to provide one-on-one -on -one support in a face-to-face -face environment with a peer who might be struggling with mental health, certainly, but it's really more about just life support and yeah. thinking about, again, some of these strategies for from the CDC, when you talk about economic supports, we talk about not just, you know, navigating financial aid at, a, at an institution of higher education, but also thinking about, can I find a job? I just broke up with my partner. Um, how do I handle these things? Mm -hmm. Just having that extra support on campus and having that connection to somebody who you can talk to and having a broader connection to the community as a result, that's the kind of stuff that prevents suicide. Totally. And so I definitely agree with you. I think the other area that I, I try to focus on um, in particular is creating protective environments, but also strengthening an access and delivery for, for suicide care. We as an organization, um, have no counselors. We have no provision of mental health professionals. A lot of folks who may be listening to this um, may be looking for a counselor in their community or might be looking for a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever that looks like. Could be calling up BetterHelp. Whatever that is that helps you is, is important. Um, but one of the areas I think we are working hard to be an influencer in, if any, anything, is this ability to strengthen access and delivery of care. Um, we don't provide, but there's a lot of folks who do. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, we do not have enough. And if we do not have enough,
we have to be able to make a case to say, okay, how do we have enough? And that starts with data. That conversation about, you know, what's going on in our communities? How do we promote connectedness? How do we, you know, create those protective environments where students, young adults, whatever their life journey might take them, gives them a place where they have the ability to live a good life mm -hmm. and find resilience. That's really critical. And we can talk about, you know, everybody, I think, and I, I try not to use hyperbole in this case, like everybody's talking about mental health. <laughs> Conversation about mental health is probably more prominent than it's ever been. And for good reason. Of course. Um, and that's definitely reducing, I think, to some level, some stigma. It's not maybe getting rid of it entirely, but it's reducing some stigma around um, wanting to seek care. Mm -hmm. The problem with that, unless there's a, a place to go, what we've done is not going to help necessarily. And so what I, I find is a most important element of our work right now is continuing to promote that connectedness, continuing to create productive environments and get people access to help. But we also have to have help. And so if we can't reasonably, we can't call ourselves a real true prevention or postvention organization mm -hmm. um, without taking action to support our intervention partners and say, how do we make sure that we're making a case for greater resources, that we're hiring more counselors, that we're, we're taking policy steps um, at the state, local, federal level to actually make sure that we're not just getting new providers in, but we're keeping them in the field because we desperately need help and we need care. Absolutely. I think that's the perfect segue to talking about systems that are in play when it comes to mental health, when it comes to education, awareness, advocacy, prevention, postvention, intervention, all of it combined. I think it's really important to think about the structures that we have in place and the limited or lack thereof access that we have in our cultures in our communities, especially in rural South Dakota, you know, and other flyover states, other small town rural areas, it's really, really important to think through what systems do we have, you know, and that's, you talked about it earlier, the housing and the infrastructure for workforce. And, you know, this also ties in healthcare and it ties into things like the reservations and the native communities, and it ties into politics and mm. you know different policies that we have so when when we think of the overall mental health ecosystem and how we can influence it as people working in the world of suicide prevention whether that's us as lost and found an organization or whether it's another care provider that we have in our network or it's just our friend on the street who is seeking support mm -hmm. how do we all play together to make this all happen how do we make changes to better support this ecosystem that we are all a part of very carefully yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the best answer <laughs> no i think um there are definitely influences right now that are making partnership and collaboration easier i yeah. won't say it's ever been perfect or easy in a landscape that's historically been underfunded especially over the past 25 to 30 years um, I don't know that collaboration has always been super easy to find in the prevention space, but I, I see now, especially as more people are talking about mental health, mm -hmm. one of the best benefits we've had of that is more collaboration. 
because by acting and, and sharing more about our stories and elevating the need and getting a better picture out there, we've been able to unlock new resources that have never been given. Yeah. And with those resources, financial or otherwise, there's a greater incentive to collaborate. Totally. And so what that looks like today, um, I think I'll, I can speak for South Dakota and of course around the country, this might look somewhat different. Um, Typically work in this space has looked like coalitions. Um, coalitions of community members who have varying levels of experience with suicide prevention, um, intervention, emergency care, that kind of thing. And they tend to collaborate and work together on how do we raise awareness. And that's one important goal. There's also goals that are starting to sort of emerge and form around things like the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which Thank God we now have a three-digit number that people can call. <laughs> yeah, um, but 11 that digits is way too much to remember in crisis. <laughs> and just being able to have that kind of collaboration where you see um, crisis centers working with a variety of mental health providers, with law enforcement, with state and federal government, that kind of coalition or collaboration is where some of that work comes from too. To build out these full seven strategies of the CDC, mm -hmm. which I know like getting into the details of each of them is, is a challenging bit. So I'll talk about that <laughs> in a later later segment, but getting getting people around the table to talk about individual strategies is the way we try to approach things at mm -hmm. Lost and Found, where um, getting folks to the table, um, you know, at the state level in South Dakota, there's a state suicide prevention subwork group that focuses on the state's prevention strategies. Austin Found's a part of that. We, we, I don't know if I would call it own, but we, we guide strategies around um, what goes on in institutions of higher education yeah. in South Dakota. There's a lot of partners that are state agencies or other nonprofits who take on other bits of strategy. If we can do that, and this is an important piece of suicide prevention, so folks, keep this, keep this nugget. Um, suicide prevention, though I say it's just, it's not just about the individual. It is about creating and tailoring experience that is tailored to that individual. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a lot of stakeholders and players that serve individuals where they are based on their experiences, based on their identities, based on, and I, I say this carefully, societal perceptions of them so that we can actually deliver an experience for them that is meaningful, that is connective, that is trustworthy, um, but also gets to the people in their life that are most likely to have a conversation with them. That's that's how the system should work. It's not always that way. Um, but especially when I think of what Lost and Found is doing, you know, the, our work with the state of South Dakota, that's a really critical element of what we do. Um, the other side of this is thinking in our community, who are the partners that are meeting the needs of the folks who are most at risk for suicide? And coalition work is where that tends to happen. Bringing players to the table, especially in, in the provision of healthcare, uh, mental health care, um, all the way through prevention, there's not there's not historically been a great connection between all of them. And so I'm excited about what's happening. I think there's definitely room for where more improvement in our collaboration, and I see that happening. Um, but for somebody who might be coming into suicide prevention saying, you know, why are there so many organizations and why are you all doing different things? Um, that's a big reason why is, is historically underfunding. Um, but also trying to find ways to address such a comprehensive and um, frankly complicated issue in space. Yeah, definitely. Now for those of our listeners that may not know, 
who are those at-risk populations for suicide in South Dakota? Yeah, in South Dakota, um, the the areas of concern are definitely our youth and young adults, which is why Lost and Found exists. So the leading cause of death for 10 to 19 year olds in South Dakota in 2020 was suicide. Mm -hmm. Second leading cause of death for 20 to 29 year olds in South Dakota was suicide. And if you look at the breakdown over the past 10 years, um, the majority of suicide deaths in South Dakota have been between the ages of 10 and 34. Um, that's not a great statistic that I like to, to see, and that's part of the reason why we exist, is to, to address that. Um, other at-risk areas that we try to focus on, um, I should say try, we do focus on, we just have to make sure that we're working in, in concert with community. Um, we see a lot of need, and particularly in indigenous communities and, in, and particularly in rural communities, whether it's because of the geographical isolation, um, the cultural elements of um, basically being cut off from the world, um, but also the economic realities that come along with that, where we've seen a, a population within our state that was subject to essentially genocide. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't just go away, and that, that intergenerational trauma especially does not go away. So um, we have to always kind of keep that in, in mind. Um, I think of rural communities especially, we've seen a, a host of uh, impacts the agricultural community. I think a lot of Im economic impacts that we don't mm -hmm. always fully grasp and understand and have contributed to suicide in rural communities. Um, but I think you also have to kind of look a little bit too within the youth and young adult, you know, why, why that generation? And, you know, we can always, until we're blue in the face, we can always talk about social media. Sure. That's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> what I think more of is, um, Certainly the, the need for connection to community and, and skills that aren't always um, taught. I, th I heard frequently about a lot of high performers, high achievers that have mm -hmm. sort of sought perfection. Um, but I think it's also important to keep in mind the, the politics and the, the, the attitudes of the world right now. Um, I just saw some data that um, South Dakota's LGBT community has some of the highest rates of depression in the United States, actually yeah. is the highest rate yeah. of depression. Um, that is a leading indicator of suicide. And that's not just because of any old thing, you know, that they're depressed because they're a member of the gay community. It's really about what's going on in South Dakota, what's going on in our, our world right now yeah. in that space. And you can't divorce those two and say those aren't factors for suicide. And so those are some some groups that um, tend to be most at risk. I can't, I can't in good conscience not also talk about veterans and, and folks who have been impacted by their service. Um, you know, rates of PTSD are tremendously high. Um, you can't you can't separate yourself from war and not have some kind of mental health impact. And the resulting conditions that come from that. And so those are some of the core areas. I know there's probably others that I'm missing at this moment, but I I try to be mindful of too, like it's important for us to understand at risk, what that means. Um, I think a lot of people use the word at risk and they don't really go to the next step to say, hey, we're talking about populations that have been impacted and individuals that have been impacted by experience. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for us to keep in mind that suicide risk impacts everybody. It just might present itself in different ways. And so, especially in the pandemic, risk factors went higher. You saw addictions mm -hmm. increase, you saw, um, family dysfunction that had to be brought home in some cases. Um, we saw a lot of, of instances of stress and trauma 
enter people's lives that had never been there before. And then protective factors were weakened in the sense of community. And so even if you don't identify with an at-risk population, suicide risk is still something to consider, especially the way we think about things like cancer risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're always going to have some kind of risk. It might be low risk, which I hope so. But you might also have high risk, and it's important to take action to address that. Totally. The reason I ask, and you kind of hit on this already, was you know a lot of our work is about building communities that mm-hmm. are resilient and increasing those structures that help support resilient communities. And um, you know, I, I guess just tying it all into things, um, what are some ways that we can work on building? resilient communities, especially in South Dakota, in rural South Dakota here, um, you know, maybe we're not a suicide prevention organization. Maybe it's a listener who just wants to get involved because this is the first time they're hearing of suicide or they, you know, are seeing the new data coming out um, from the state and they're shocked by the number of suicides that we've had, especially coming out of a pandemic. Mm. What are some ways that we can build as individuals Uh, more resilient communities? I think the best way, and I know I share the sentiment, um, the state of South Dakota has done a fantastic job of bringing together partners to build training opportunities. That's the best way to start. Um, There's training opportunities to uh, be a suicide gatekeeper called Mm -hmm. Question, Persuade, Refer, QPR. Um, I would jokingly call it the CPR, suicide prevention, because it kind of is. Um, (laughs) And it's about an hour long. It's really straightforward, fairly easy to complete. And it's really one easy step, so to speak, to say, at least I know how to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. That kind of training, whether you do that, you do things like mental health first aid, which is a little bit more intensive, where you're talking about providing um, the literal terms of first aid in a mental health sense of how do you respond to somebody in a mental health crisis, having those tools for yourself gives you um, the skills and the mindset, maybe more importantly, to actually have a conversation because suicide is prevented when we have trust in conversations. We think, see that all the time in mental health conditions and sort of the risk factor for suicide. Like if somebody can have a conversation with you and trust you about it, that's what's going to do the Mm -hmm. job to to Mm -hmm. prevent suicide. So I always say, if you want to get involved, that's the start. You know, and that, uh, fortunately, you can you can access resources from Lost and Found. Certainly, um, there's a whole plethora of resources if you're in South Dakota through the South Dakota Suicide Prevention website. Um, if you're outside of South Dakota, which I hope a few of you listeners are outside of South Dakota, um, there's a wide variety of resources you can look at, especially from organizations um, like NAMI. You can look at American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, you can look at even your local, your, your state local government might have some prevention coalition that's running a training. Um, you can even think about it in, in terms of at-risk populations that you're, you might be a part of or identify with, where I think of like the Trevor Project, sort of the LGBT community, yeah. lots of great resources get trained that's the first step always and there's levels to that where you can be trained for as little as an hour you can spend two days whatever that looks like for you that's the starting point because what that opens up is conversations with individuals but also conversations in your community and the best thing you can do then advocate in whatever organizations you're a part of that mental health needs are are valuable and important look at the data 
third and see what populations are most impacted in your mm, community. Yeah. If you're in South Dakota, South Dakota Suicide Prevention website certainly has you covered. Um, but if you're looking at more of a national audience and you're trying to kind of sift through, hey, I'm not sure what my state has. Um, go to the CDC's website. Um, they, they write the suicide technical package for a reason. They carry a lot of that data and they have very good information about what's going on in your state, certainly, but also perhaps in your local community that can give you a sense of who's being impacted by this. And having that, that those three things, you know, starting with training, advocating in your organization your, with your employer, having some data to back you up, this is the type of stuff that changes communities. Yeah. Training, advocacy, data, making change in our communities. And once you know, that's what Lost and Found does. So. <laughs> it's almost like we did it for a reason yeah. or something. <laughs> Great. Well, to kind of round out our conversation, Eric, there's lots of incredible people out there doing this work. You know, um, we've talked about it from the clinical side of care providers. We've talked about other nonprofits um, such as ourselves and NAMI and AFSP. What are some resources? Maybe it's a book or a podcast or an article that you've read recently that, you know, you want to share with our listeners as they're taking things away today. Um, you know, maybe they're listening to this and they stumbled upon us and they've, they've never seen data or they don't know how to advocate in their communities. What are some resources that you would point people to? Yeah. So listeners, I highly encourage you to go to resilienttoday.org, uh, two T's. Um, go to our website, <laughs> check out our resources. There's actually a pretty helpful set of guides there um, that will guide you to crisis resources, mental health providers, um, other resources you might need to know about. Um, but I also think too, you know, in the spirit of Mental Health Month, um, I would strongly encourage folks to go to our website, um, check out, um, we have a, a section of our website focused on education and advocacy. There's a digital resources tab, click on it and look for the Let's Talk About It's a Health Guide. Um, it'll give you a very comprehensive view of how to have that conversation and get started. Um, I think, you know, in, the, in the, the scheme of what's going on today and sort of our conversation from here, um, Lost and Found will be posting a blog post sort of outlining the history and, yeah. and sort of public health concern and crisis that suicide is on our website that further explains the technical package and will link to the technical package. Um, I don't certainly expect you to go read a 40 page document from the CDC necessarily <laughs> just on, on a whim, although I love light reading. Um, but that gives a better explanation of what we talked about today. And I encourage folks, if you're interested in those strategies to read and, and just kind of reflect yeah. a little bit on what that means. Um, I think in South Dakota, I cannot not say um, we're so grateful for our partners with the South Dakota Suicide Prevention Subwork Group with the Helpline Center with NAMI, AFSP, Environmental Health. There's just so many organizations we engage with, um, and particularly the helpline. Um, it's important to know they run um, the crisis line for the state of South Dakota, um, soon to be 988, starting this this summer. Um, you can call them now at 211 and, and access that line. But the state suicide prevention website gives you the data and resources you might be looking for for specific populations. Um, I tend to say to, you know, in an era right now where we're really trying to track down mental health providers, um, I'm a big fan personally of psychologytoday.com. Yes. So if you're trying to find a, a mental health provider or trying to help somebody, um, one of the best places to search because it's localized. Counselors are 
incentivize to update their profiles and share information. It's just, it's a good space if you're trying to get help. And I really encourage folks to look at that and look at those resources. But again, rezoningtoday.org, make it happen. <laughs> so obviously folks listening, um, there is a world of resources out there. And, um, you know, this is not a, an exhaustive list that Eric just ran through, but um, check out our website, be on the lookout for our blog post coming out with that technical package. And then stay tuned uh, for our next episode. We will actually be having someone from the CDC. Um, she was a part of this technical package and writing it and putting it together. She still works in that world and we're excited to have her in our next episode. So thank you, Eric, so much for joining me with this conversation today and for being here and leading us into the world of prevention, intervention, postvention and just doing the hard work. Thanks, Joel. Keep, yeah. keep doing my best. Keep being audacious. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to Great Minds with Lost and Found. We are thrilled to have you all as listeners. We hope that you have learned something and taken something away from today's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, we are on every platform. Rate and review Great Minds because it is important for us to be pushing this message out into the world and to be reaching more people and building more resilient communities and increasing that support in the overall at-large ecosystems that we live in. So please, please, please rate and review so that way we can kind of keep spreading this message across the world. And lastly, if you'd like to learn more about Lost and Found and the work that we do, you can check us out, as we've mentioned multiple times today, at resilienttoday.org and find us on all social media platforms at Resilient Today. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review Great Minds wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more information about Lost and Found, go to resilienttoday.org. That's R-E-S. I-L-I-E-N-T-T-O-D-A-Y dot org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Resilient Today. Until next time, do more and stay well.